We live in a culture that loves courage. We despise cowards, but we love courage. Almost in every movie, the bad guys are the cowards and the good guys are the courageous ones. Now, typically when we think of heroes, we think of them doing courageous, death-defying acts like a policeman taking a bullet or a soldier falling on a grenade or a fireman rushing into a building. And those are courageous acts, no if ands, buts about it. But the truth is it takes a great deal of courage just to face ordinary challenges of daily life. It takes a great deal of courage to do what is right and not wimp out in our culture. And every day of our lives, we are making choices, are we not? That are demonstrating our courage or showing that we're cowards. We're in a series that we're wrapping up today called Recommitment. And we've talked about the commitment to the very purpose for which God has created us for. Five things. We've talked about those commitments. We've talked about integrity. We've talked about using our experiences that that God has given us for the glory of God and for the good of others. And I would have us know that behind all of those commitments, folks, it takes courage. It takes courage to make a difference through those commitments through our integrity, through our passions. Truly, the only way that you and I can make a difference is by being committed because as we commit, we change. And as I like to say, change people, change people. You and I will not make a difference in our life, in our marriages, in our families, in the community that we live in as we blend in with the crowd as we imitate others, as we go with the flow. Truly, the bottom line is if you wanna make a difference, you must become different and not in a weird way, truly in a culturally relevant way. One of my life verses is out of Acts, Acts 20, that says, and David served God's purposes in his generation, and then he died. David served God's purpose, the eternal, and he did it in his generation, the temporal, but in a culturally relevant way, and then he died. Okay, God, I'm ready to take me home. I've done my job. Which means that you and I must be willing, not in a weird way, but in a culturally relevant way, be willing to be criticized, to be made fun of, to be joked about. This is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 16. I told you these things so that you can have peace in me. In this world, you will have trouble, but be brave. I have defeated the world. Today, I wanna talk about how you and I can live a more courageous life by developing three aspects that don't have anything to do about running into a burning building. So let's get started, okay? Number one, I can live a more courageous life by owning up to my sin. Now, I mentioned the word sin because this word we love to avoid. We will use every other word that we can possibly use. I'll like, well, these are my weaknesses or these are my mistakes or uh, these are, as I like to say, my flops, failures, and fumbles, but we never say sin. But the Bible calls it sin. Truly, the word sin is an archery term. It's for an arrow that doesn't reach its intended destination. It's purpose in life, okay? And we don't like to use that word. In fact, we like to avoid it at all costs. But notice what 
John says in 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's saying, we are just kidding ourselves if we say, hey, we haven't sinned. We're not kidding anybody else. I mean, everybody else knows that you and I, I mean, are sinners, right? If I go up to someone, hey, I'm not a sinner. Oh yeah, Pastor George, you're the biggest sinner. We see it every Sunday, okay? I just want you to know that, okay? But we avoid it with a plague. And when we deny that we're sinners, we're not only lying and being dishonest to ourselves, we're deceiving ourselves. And why do we do that? I think it's because we hate to admit our sin. We hate to admit our sins because we think others will think less of us. But the truth of the matter is, when we admit it, when we say, you know, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Others think better of you. Now, why is that? It's because it is a mark of emotional maturity. It is a mark of, of maturity. It is a mark of courage. Truly, I know some muscle-bound men that have a hard time to, of saying, you know what, I was wrong. And that's being a coward. And so, for our own emotional health, for our own spiritual well-being, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to admit, hey, I have sinned. Now, I don't want you to go into any deep, dark secrets, okay? But just turn to them and say, I have sinned. Okay, I'm just gonna go down here and just get involved in this. And EJ, I have sinned. I am a big sinner, okay? Jim, I am, what about you? Oh, I've already confessed, what about you? Big center right there. We got two big centers in the front row right here. Uh, Marilyn, uh, I, I've sinned. I'm a big center. You pray with me on Tuesdays. And um, what about you, though? She's a sin, but she didn't say she's a big sin. Oh, she's a big center over there, too. Do you hear us laughing? Isn't that something? See, it's not hard to have sinned. I'll never forget, it was about four or five years ago, I'm sitting in Barnes and Noble and I'm working on a message. And there's this person I hadn't seen, I don't know, for a couple months or whatever, two or three months. And I said, oh, hey, it's good to see you. I hadn't seen you in a little while. He says, well, Pastor George, I want you to know I've left the church. I said, oh, really? I said, well, what's up? I mean, information is motivation to my soul. He says, do you know, do you have some big sinners at LifePoint Church? <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I didn't know that. Folks, it's a sign of emotional health. There was a situation that happened at Christmas. Two kids were in a shop and they were playing with an ornament, Christmas ornament, and they dropped it. And when they did, one kid hightailed it out of there. The other kid picked up the ornament, went to the front register, pulled out $5 from his pocket and says, will this be enough? That took courage. Folks, I know some adults that would never do that. So let me ask you this question. What are you afraid to own up to? What is it in your marriage that you're afraid to own up to? That you're afraid to say, you know what, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? What is it with your family that you're afraid to own up to? To say, you know what, kids? I was wrong, will you forgive me? I shouldn't have said that. There have been times I've left family outings and God spoke to me through Cheryl's voice. It's amazing. 
God and Cheryl together. George, I think you shouldn't have said that. And I knew as soon as I said it, I shouldn't have said it, but I didn't want to admit it. But when God speaks to you through your wife, you do it, okay? And I've called him up on the phone. Hey, I want you to know I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? What are you afraid to own up to? What is it that you're in denial about? Because you keep blaming other people and everywhere you go, it just follows you. Take a look at this verse out of Proverbs 28, 13. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. In other words, denial doesn't work. Oh, it might for a short period of time as you wear this mask, pretending that everything is okay, but in the long run, guess what? It'll be found out. As I have, as I have said before, uh, we are as sick as our secrets. You see, our inability to own up is the greatest destroyer of our personhood. It is the greatest destroyer of our marriages, of our families. Folks, it's the greatest destroyer of our church. And it's just a form of being a coward. Truly, there have been times in my life, well, here, right at church, where someone has walked into my office. They've made an appointment. They have walked in and they said, Pastor George, I want to tell you something that I've never told anyone else. And when I hear those words, I think, there's going to be a breakthrough here. Pastor George, I've never told anyone else what I'm about ready to tell you. And then they lay some heavy thing on me. George, I've extorted money. And I need you to know I'm going to trial and I know I'm going to go to prison. George, I've been unfaithful. George, I've stole money. Folks, I've been in ministry 40 years and I've heard it all. And when I hear those things, you want to know what I think? I admire that person. Because when they come in, oftentimes they come in shaking. Or after a minute of sitting down and they begin to discuss, they start crying like a baby. Or you, you hear the shaking and quivering in their voice. Truly, when people come in and they open up and they're real and they're authentic, I admire them more as a result. Now, you may be thinking, how does this owning up to personal responsibility, owning up to sin, make a difference in my life and make a difference in the world? And, in that, and that question is an easy one to answer. You see, when you start becoming authentic and truthful, it brings healing. And when healing, and when you begin to heal, you begin to change and you become different. And different people make a difference. Take a look at this verse out of James 5, verse 16. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You and I admit our faults to God. That's where we get forgiveness. We could stop right there. But if you want healing, if you want change where you become different so as to make a difference in you, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with your marriage, your spouse, your family, etc., across the board, you admit your faults to one another. Meaning, you come say, hey, you know what? These are my strengths and these are my weaknesses. 
And when you and I are authentic and real, hey, I'm good at this and I'm not good at this. In fact, I've blown here. This is an area that I really fall in, that I'm sin, I fall short of God's glory. Healing takes place and people begin to respect you. People aren't looking for perfect people. What they're looking for is authentic, real people who are making progress. It takes courage to own up. Secondly, it takes courage to stand up for what's right. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 16, Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous, be strong. Now, honestly, folks, today, many Christians are afraid to stand up for what is right. In a world, that, in a world where tolerance is valued over truth, Christians are afraid to stand up for what's right. And I think this is the case because we're afraid that we might be labeled maybe as a bigot or as old-fashioned or as judgmental or as prejudiced or racist or homophobe or whatever, okay? Now, it's my guess that this past week, with people that you've rubbed shoulders with on a regular basis in your relational world that you maybe saw something wrong or you heard something wrong and you knew that it was wrong, but you didn't say anything at the time, you remained quiet. And in your mind, you thought, I know that's wrong because the Bible says that it's wrong. But who am I? I'm not their judge. I mean, it's not my place. It's not my business. I'll just be quiet. Now, if you are a believer, this is God's word to good people. This is the tension that I live with in in being uh, valuing truth and wanting to be liked. Take a look at this verse out of Ezekiel 3. If you do not warn him to change his ways so that he can save his life, he will die still a sinner, and I will hold you responsible for his death. That is a sobering verse. If I know the truth, if I know the difference between right and wrong, and I see someone that I have a relationship with messing up their lives, we're not talking about being the police of the world. We're talking about those who are in your relational circle that you are more than just, hey, acquaintances with. We're talking about that you have something more than that. If you see that they're messing up their life and you don't say anything, then the consequences of that wrong action, God will hold you responsible for. You see, who was responsible for the Holocaust? A lot of people just think one person, Hitler. It's not true. It was all the other ones who were around him who knew what was going on. That's why there were Nuremberg trials. God says, when I know the difference between right and wrong and I do nothing about it, it's just a reflection of a a calloused heart. I was reading this morning, just prepping my own heart and just, God, help me with this, okay? Because honestly, folks, I believe we live in a world that's broken And we see the brokenness and we see people continuing to go down the road of brokenness. And I thought of this story. Jesus, Mark Mark 3, is in the temple and he's no doubt teaching and different things. And these Pharisees bring in this guy with this withered hand and it was a test. And so he posed the question to him, says, hey, is it right to do harm or is it right to heal on the Sabbath? And they remained quiet. And then it says that Jesus was grieved in his heart because of the callousness of their hearts. 
because they wouldn't do anything. Now, I am sure in the world that we live in that we know people who are messing up their lives, right? They're broken. They're really looking for hope. And we know friends, we know family members who, who are doing some destructive things and we've not said anything because, well, they look like they're happy. <laughs> hey, they're living the good life, right? Okay. But notice what God says out of Proverbs 14, 13. Sure, those people appear to, to be having a good time, but all the, the laughter will end in heartbreak. In other words, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end <clears throat> leads to death. Now listen, as Christians, there will be times in our relationships, out of love, <clears throat> where we must care enough to confront, where we must go to them in love <clears throat> and say, you know what, you're blowing it. I mean, I care, I care more for you than what, what, what this is gonna lead uh, for you in your life. I've got to say something. Have you ever thought about maybe doing this? Because if you see something that they are doing that's hurting them and you don't say anything, then honestly, you're not that much of a friend because love cares enough, does it not, to confront, even if it means personal rejection or misunderstanding. Now, where do you get that kind of courage? Where do you and I get that kind of courage just to speak up um, in love with our families, with our friends? Well, take a look at Psalms 119 here. Let your love, God, shape my life. Then I'll be able to stand up to mockery because I trust your word. As I look for your truth and your wisdom, I'll tell the world what I find and speak out boldly in public, unembarrassed. Will you circle three words? Love, word, and truth. These three things give us the motivation to stand up for what is right. If I really love God, if I really love his word, the truth, if I really love people, those three things are the motivation to stand up and say, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. So if I live more courageous, so, so I will live more courageously when I own up to my sin, when I stand up for what is right in love. Thirdly, I will live more courageously by speaking up for Christ. Take a look at a couple of verses here. God doesn't, God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. So don't be embarrassed to speak up for our master. Look at 1 Peter 3, 15. Always be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always do it with the utmost courtesy. God comes along and says, guess what? I want you to speak up for me. And when you do, I want you to speak up with the utmost courtesy. Don't use words like uh, that hurt. Don't, don't use words uh, like a billy club. Don't use words that like a shotgun that just blow them away with the Bible and hitting them with the Bible. No, do it with grace. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking right now. Pastor George, I know that I need to share Christ with my friends. But you know what? I'm no expert, Pastor George. I'm no professional. I'm not a pastor. I've never memorized a verse. I don't know much that much about the Bible. Okay, I got it. Let me ask you this. Do you know enough to say, 
that Jesus Christ loves you? Sure you do. That's your experience. You know that Christ loves you and loves other people. Do you know enough to say, God's got a purpose for your life? Sure, I mean, if you're in this church, we're a purpose-driven church, right? I mean, God's got a purpose for your life. Do you know enough to say, hey, I'd like to invite you to church. My, my pastor's getting ready to do a series on hope. And you know what? We all need hope, don't we? We live in a broken world. Sure. You see, people don't need knowledge. They need love. And you and I need to just care enough for their eternal souls and forget about the initial moment of saying something to them. God wants to use you and I. I believe it with all my heart, folks. I've been working on this series for almost a year. And I believe it's gonna create a tidal wave. But it's only gonna happen as we say, God, I wanna be different. I, I wanna be a different maker in my marriage, with my families, at school, at the soccer fields, across the board. Think about this. There are some people that only you can reach, that I could never reach. And that's because they relate to your personality far more than they relate to mine. In fact, it, I didn't wear a Hawaiian shirt today and people have been asking me, George, is there something wrong? I just, I woke up, I felt plaid today. You know, I thought, okay, I'm gonna wear plaid. But they would see that, I can't relate to that guy, okay. But they can relate to you. And so you just, you just say, hey, Jesus loves you. God's got a purpose for your life. I'd love you to come to church. I mean, this is awesome. We all need hope. And so if you and I are willing to own up to our sin, if we're willing to, to stand up for what is right, if we're willing to speak up for Christ, then God will use you and I to create a wave, to create a movement of hope in this community because we're different and different people make a difference. Now, honestly, as I was writing this, I thought this is not a deep message. It's really not, okay? We all know these things. The real question is this, where are you and I gonna get the courage to do them? So let me give you four things. I, I think you can almost consider these as New Year's resolutions, right? Because we just started the year. Four things that will build your courage. The first one is this, go public through baptism. Folks, that's what baptism is. It's your coming out party. It's, it's where you stop being a secret agent. It's where you open the closet and you, hey, this is who I am. I guess what? I am not ashamed to be a Christ follower. Take a look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life. You see, baptism is a coming out party. So I want to talk to the secret agents that are in the church right now. You know who you are. You have been a believer for years, but you've never publicly identified with Christ through baptism. What's up? What's going on? 
Are you afraid that your hair might get wet? Hey, I tell you what, we'll buy one of those plastic things you can put over your head, right? You see, I want to challenge you. Folks, Easter's coming. One of the most natural opportunities to invite people to church is Easter. How about you getting baptized? Better yet, some of us may need to get rebaptized. I had someone come up to me first service, George. First time I got baptized, I was eight years old, didn't mean squat to me. I did it because some of my mom and dad wanted me to do it. It wasn't until I was in college that I finally realized, and then I got baptized again. Maybe some of us got to get rebaptized, so to speak. What a great time. I guarantee you that, that uh, water feature out there will be working then, and we're going to do it Easter weekend, okay? A great time to go public. Number two, pray for boldness. Take a look what Paul said, and this is the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 6.20. Pray that I will keep on speaking out boldly for him, even here in prison, as I sure should. Start asking God, God, just give me boldness, okay? Give me boldness to invite someone to the, to the, uh, to the Easter. Give me boldness to invite someone to the, to the Hope series. Number three, expect God to use me. Here's the Apostle Paul again. Take a look at Philippians 1.20. I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything, but that I will have the courage now, as always, to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth. God works on the basis of faith. When you expect God to show up at that moment where you invite them to church or where you share something of your story, as you begin to build a little bridge for them to walk over that is always there, even if though, though they may not, guess what? God will show up. Now, let me say this, because I know we've all heard this. Like I said, this is not a deep message. But courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing things in spite of your fear. Folks, it's natural to be nervous. It just is. I'm nervous when I do it, okay? And I'm a pastor, okay? I'm a professional, and I know all the verses. It's natural to be nervous. But courage moves us past our nervousness and makes us aware of the presence of God that gives us power. You see, God's presence isn't just something that gives us peace that passes all understanding when we are broken, when we are going through a crisis. God's presence gives us courage to speak up. Take a look at this verse out of Joshua 1.9. I command you to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is what? Is with you wherever you go. He's with you. So go public. Pray for boldness. Expect God to show up. And then number four, remember the end of the story. Now, if you and I listen to the news and the media, the 24-7 cable news channels that are out there, you would believe that we as Christians are losing the battle. You would believe that the cause for truth, justice, and so to speak, the American way is losing ground. And you could become discouraged. I really believe a lot of the hopelessness that is in our culture today is because of all the negativity is out there. One of the things that you're going to learn in this series that I'm going to teach you is how to fast. Fast from media, not just food. And I'm going to challenge our church for one week to not watch any news, period. 
watch a show, you know, listen to the radio, to music, don't watch any news. And I want to see if your hope quotient doesn't come up because I'm going to teach you about this. So, just get ready. My ADD's kicking in. Oh, here we are. Yes, that point right there. End of the story. Okay. I believe we don't have courage because of the media. And truly, when you're discouraged, it means there's the absence of courage. But what we need to do is we need to remember the end of the story. And I've read it. Oh, it's exciting. I love the beginning and I love the end. When I was going through school, that's what I always did. I read the beginning and the end, and then I made up whatever was in the middle. I'd say, I don't, I don't remember, okay? But I've read the end of the story here, folks, and I want you to know something. We win. Jesus Christ is gonna come back, okay? And he's gonna right all the wrongs. He's gonna correct all the injustices in, that are in the world. We are on the winning side, it's kind of like the Pats. They always seem to come in at the end, right, and win the games, right? I had to tie that in for you Pats fans out there. Folks, we win. And James speaks about this. In James 5, 8, take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. You and I don't need to be intimidated by anybody. We don't need to be intimidated by the news. We don't need to be intimidated by other people in our relational world whom we love and we have respect for. I don't care if they've got um, uh, behind their name all kinds of degrees, okay? In fact, their name may be Dr. Fahrenheit, okay? All kinds of degrees behind their name. And they may be saying, you know what? I really believe Christians are wimps. I really believe Christians are spineless. I really believe that, that Christianity is for those who are, you know, are weak. When I hear people say those kinds of things, honestly, I laugh. Because it takes more courage to be committed to Christ. To admit, you know what? I admit, I'm a sinner. But you know what? I've, I've repented. I've, I'm changing the trajectory of my life. I'm no longer going down this road. I'm going to go down this road. I've committed my life to Christ. I'm a Christ follower. Folks, it takes courage to say that. It takes courage to be committed to the body of Christ. To say, hey, yeah, I go to this church. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to be a person of integrity. Yeah, you feel the tensions. You want to be loved but I gotta stand for truth in a loving way. It takes courage to use your experiences, especially the painful ones, those that you'd want to forget about to help someone else grow in their faith and become all that God wants them to be through you and your ministry. It takes courage. It takes courage to tithe. It takes courage to obey God, to say, to say no when everybody else is saying yes. Folks, it takes courage to own up and to stand up and to speak up when, mo- when agnostics can't even make up their mind and be committed to what is true and right and good. It takes courage. And God calls us to that. And church, I thought about this message and it's probably one of the shorter messages I've given. But I thought, God, I'm gonna give this message because we're gonna create a movement in our church. 
You see, there is a strategy behind this series of this year. The end of the year, it's missional renewal. In the middle third of the year, it's relational renewal. And the beginning year that we're going to start with is personal renewal. You see, a lot of times we look at and we want, boy, we just need organizational change. We need organizational change in our government. We need organizational change in our community. We need organizational change in our church. But organizational change doesn't happen until there is relational change. And we're going to drill down on that because we all need hope. And then, but, re, but relational renewal only happens with personal renewal. And when you and I are personally renewed the way God describes it in his word, I'm gonna guarantee you this, our hope level is gonna rise and our marriages are gonna come together and we're gonna become a different person and different people relationally and we will become a different organization that will impact this community. And this is what Jesus calls us to. Take a look at Luke chapter nine, verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. Let's live with courage. Let's start a movement. I am so excited for next Sunday. I really don't care about the Super Bowl, but I care about next Sunday. It's gonna be a great kickoff. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you. I thank you, God, that you are a good God. That you are a God of all grace and mercy. That you're a God of compassion. That you're a God who woos us to yourself. That in our brokenness, God, when we are aimless and purposeless, when we are without hope, when we can't, so to speak, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we come to you, and we declare our need and our condition, you don't reject us. You accept us. You, you put your arms around us. You bring healing and health and hope into our hearts. You change us from the inside out. And I thank you, God, because of your spirit that you give us culturally relevant ways to speak up for you. To those whom we love, to those who we care for, that are in our circle of influence. And I thank you that you've given us a message, a message of hope. God, I wanna pray for our church, that we would be hope-filled, that we would know the hope that we have in you, that we would foster that hope on a daily basis, that we'd, we would practice some Christian disciplines that would just help us to be above the chaos of life, to be so different that we're kind of like a magnet, God. God, do that work. Do it starting today, God. As we leave this place, may we not leave without a mission of inviting people, of sharing Christ, of building that bridge between now and Easter. So God, I give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.